When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Inside Syracuse Basketball with Mike Waters, presented by Syracuse.com. College basketball is a great thing. Anything can happen. Welcome to the Inside Syracuse Basketball Podcast. I'm Mike Waters. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by former Syracuse basketball player Terrence Roberts. Terrence talked about playing for the legendary Bob Hurley at St. Anthony High School. The knee injuries he suffered in high school and at Syracuse and how he recently lost nearly 50 pounds after taking up cycling. Today's guest is probably one of my all-time favorite Syracuse players, especially when it came to interviews, whether it was after a game or at a practice or anywhere. This guy was always so insightful, so funny, and and sometimes you never knew what he was going to say. Uh, So I'm excited to have him on the podcast today. Terrence Roberts. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Terrence. It's good to have you. Oh, thanks for having me, Mike. I appreciate it. It's been a while. It's been a long time. It's been too long. Uh, way, way too long. I guess we've communicated a little bit, you know, uh, a text message here or a quick phone call there. But uh, yeah, I got, I got to admit, I really miss the days of having you in that locker room as a, as a guy I could go to for the, the lead quote, the kicker quote, <laughs> the funny quote, whatever I needed, you were there. Yeah, I missed them days too. <laughs> um you seem to enjoy that before I ask you a lot of other questions about it you know high school and Syracuse and stuff you Mm -hmm. always did seem to enjoy talking to reporters and and the 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 banter back and forth uh yeah I mean I I'm all for the media and stuff like that you know long as the back and forth is you know uh is leading in a good direction I'm all for it. You know, I, I came from a program where we didn't really have a lot of media and stuff surrounding us, even with all the glitz and glamour that was with my high school program. It wasn't really, we didn't have a lot of media on us like that. Our, uh, our coach did a really good do- job of sheltering us from that. Well, let's go ahead and talk about that high school program and that coach that you <laughs> referred to there. You played for the legendary Bob Hurley Sr. at St. Anthony in Jersey yep. City, New Jersey. What was it like to play uh, for a coach like Bob Hurley in high school? Uh, it was it was absolutely terrifying. It was absolutely, because uh, day in and day out, you never knew what you were going to get on the basketball court. He was an amazing person off the court. It's like a complete, a complete 180 from what he was in practice and in games than like off the court, like at his house at barbecues and stuff like this. It was complete night and day. He was so intense on the court. I think that's why I got a lot of my intensity from while I, from when I played is just watching him, watching him coach us and watching how intense he is and just really trying to match that. But he was a very head, very headstrong, knew what he, want, knew what he wanted out of his kids. Uh, 
knew what it took for us to be successful and we had to abide by that. And it, I mean, it was tough initially. It's, it's tough for everybody initially. Well, once you kind of sophomore year, junior year, once you kind of get the hang of what he wants, man, it was pretty fun. You always end up missing it for sure. You know, a lot of the programs these days at the high school level, especially some of the, the private schools or, the, or the, the prep schools, some of the facilities that, that are there now are, are just amazing for that level. St. Anthony was not that way. You guys were a powerhouse program, but tell me a little bit about what it was, what that facility was like there. Uh, when I was in, when I was there, we uh, we practiced at uh, this place called White Eagle Hall. A lot of people uh, know it from being in the USA Today, the front page of the USA Today, where I was sitting on, sitting against a, a wall behind me that pretty much had asbestos falling on my shoulders at the time. <laughs> but I mean, it, a lot of legends were made there in Jersey City, Newark, New York. A lot of legends was made there. We had a lot of N1 guys that would come in there and practice and play with us. And not everyone could get in that gym and play. You had to be you had to be cut from a different cloth to actually get in there and be able to survive a two-hour session in that gym. But it was a it was an amazing feeling. It, it, it really kept you humble because you go to schools like CBA or pretty much any school in the, in the surrounding area where they all, all those guys had gyms, they had weight rooms and stuff. We, we pretty much, if you went in our basement of White Eagle Hall, which was a, like assembly hall, and we just, we had two basketball hoops, one that was tied to a balcony, had another one that on the, um, the, uh, the main rim was on the, the stage and it was held to the ground by an iron radiator. <laughs> so if you dunk too hard, that the whole thing went sideways, it, the radiator flew up in the air. So, you know, it, 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 kept, it kept us hung, uh, humble and hungry for your time that you were there for sure. Now, did you ever get on Coach Hurley's bad side there? Everybody did. I started <laughs> off on his bad side. <laughs> Everybody did. Man, I was a, when I came in, I was a 2003. I pretty much, it was like either go there or, you know, go somewhere and probably end up getting locked up coach Hill was pretty much my probation officer my freshman year so I got in some trouble like in eighth grade he was like yo you, you either gotta come here or we, we or it's gonna be bad for you and I was like oh yeah I really got no choice at this point so I went there and I mean it, it changed my life for sure changed the direction of my life for sure so um he was he was I think he was the stability that I needed when my parents weren't around that's what I like. I was very free roaming. I still worked out, trained and stuff, but not as much as I probably should have been. And he was that stability, that I, that guidance and stability that I needed moving forward. <clears throat> you know, I was wondering about the Coach Hurley's presence and influence when, as a high school sophomore, you sustained your first knee injury. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of kids at that age with that kind of an injury – you know, that could have been it. Um, yeah. You could have just gone sideways. You know, did how much did his influence there help you recover from that injury and, and get to where you were, you know, your junior, senior years? I mean, I mean, from him, you know, 
coming with me to the hospital to coming with me to multiple uh, physical therapy sessions, making sure I was at all my physical therapy sessions. I would have to leave school, go to physical therapy, then come back, then still go to practice. So, you know, him constantly staying on top of me. And then before that point, there, there was no, for me, it was no, like, no weight room. Like, I, I avoided the weight room and all the strength training at all costs. I was just all athleticism at that point. So that really opened up my eyes to my body growing and becoming a young adult and getting stronger outside of just playing basketball. And I think he he saw that opportunity to help grow me in that aspect. And that's really where my career took off. I mean, when I got hurt, you know, I ended up breaking my tibia, my patella, and had a torn ACL. There was eight division, like high-level division one uh, college coaches sitting on the sideline. And I just remember, I mean, going up, my leg exploded, and I'm just cussing, saying every cuss word possible. <laughs> and I look over at them, and they're all just in shock. and. A week after my surgery, I had an offer letter from every single one of those schools. I played well that day. I wasn't even supposed to play that day. When, it, when, it, when the run started, I was sitting on the front step, and my assistant coach, Ben Gamble, came in. He was like, what are you doing? I was like, I don't feel good. I was congested. I was feeling sick. And he was like, this is the perfect day to play. Like, We don't make excuses. Like, If you, if you can walk, you can play. <laughs> Obviously, it was a bad idea, but... <laughs> In the long run, it turned out very well. It turned out very well. So, I mean, between him and, and between Coach Hurley and Ben Gamble constantly staying on me, making sure I was good, it was a, a really easy transition. I went down September 14th. Uh, I had surgery. I went down on the 14th. I had surgery on the 15th. I was back on the court practicing and playing before Christmas. Unbelievable. Yeah, I was young. <laughs> young and drank a lot of milk and if that had anything to do with it I don't know I don't know how I was able to come back so fast but I started out the season with uh JV and then quickly made the transition to varsity and never looked back at that point why did you decide to go to Syracuse because obviously coming out of St. Anthony and being as good as you were <laughs> and on the teams you were on um you obviously had a lot of options why Syracuse uh, I feel like the, the, there was a lot of balance there. I love the balance between the coaching staff and the players. Mike Hopkins was uh, my main recruiter, and he gave me a lot of that Coach Hurley vibe where it was like, I'm going to be on you. I'm going to be strict. This is what I want. This is what you're going to do. I'm going to give you the keys to be successful, but it's going to be up to you to do what you got to do to get to that point. And Beheim was almost the exact opposite, where he was like, this is what I expect. Either you do it or we find somebody else that is going to do it for you. And I respected that because it was like it was almost the exact opposite of what I was getting from Coach Hurley. But at the same time, I was taking everything I, I learned from Coach Hurley and I was bringing it into Syracuse and trying to be a leader right off the bat. Like there was no turning back for me from that point. Like I came in as a freshman trying my hardest to be team captain on a team that just won a national championship. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I think that toughness, installing that toughness into my teammates and into everybody else around me, I think that that really helped me. That's why I picked Syracuse. It was just a fine balance between the players and the coaches, and I loved every bit of it. 
what was it like? You mentioned coming to Syracuse as a freshman. You came in the year after they had won a national title. What, what was it like for you and your fellow freshmen like Demetrius Nichols and, and Mookie Watkins to come into a program where guys like Josh Pace, Jerry McNamara, Craig Forth had all just won a national title? It was tough because I put a target on our back right away. I don't know if you remember the, the quote where they had, uh, it, it, it might have been you or somebody else. They asked me, you know, what are your expectations? Uh, you know, now that Carmelo Anthony is in here, you know, you guys got big fields, shoes to fill. And, and in my head, I was like, man, we got four guys that can be just as good as Carmelo Anthony. And I said this like before the season started. And that like, that put so much pressure on everybody that it was, it, it was tough. It was probably too much pressure than we needed at that point, but I didn't care. I wanted us to, I thought we were all tough kids. We all played high school basketball together in AU. So uh, it, it was tough. The pressure, the pressure definitely was mounting. And, you know, we started off playing initially, but then, you know, true to Bayheim's typical form, freshmen will start off playing and then they just kind of slide by the wayside <laughs> towards the end of the season and towards middle of the season and then if you if you're doing things the right way he'll start to play you towards the latter part of the season so uh we weren't we weren't ready at that point though looking back you know uh physically you know playing against certain teams i look back when playing against like uconn with ben gordon and mecca Ogafor, and i'm just like i look at those pitches and i'm like jesus christ i was nowhere near ready to be on the court with those guys at that time <laughs> but you just wanted that back then you really just wanted that opportunity you know you didn't really care but I mean, we we were just we were there. We were uh, four guys from you know the tri-state area, pretty much, and we just wanted our opportunity, wanted our shot to be great, like the guys that were in front of us. Yeah, your first two years at Syracuse, your freshman sophomore years, there's uh, another power forward in the program named Hakeem Warwick. Yeah, Hakeem was made it so tough on me. <laughs> was so he? tough. I just wanted him to go to the NBA. Just go to the NBA, Hack. I love you, man. Go to the NBA. Go to every, and he and he loved Syracuse so much. Just kept coming back. Like, come on. Stayed all four years. Stayed all just, four years. So, how many times would you wager that you were dunked on by the king of dunks there? You know, honestly. Oh, you're. We, this is where you tell me you weren't that you blocked everything. No, no. I, I, listen, you know, you remember me. I went for everything. So, I, like, <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't care. But you got to ask. Next time we talk to ask, talk to Hack. Ask him how many times I dunked on him. So okay. we, we, he's probably got me a, a lot more times than I've gotten him. But usually when he gets me, I get him right back. Hack wasn't known for his defense. He's going to kill me when he sees this. But Hack wasn't known for his defense. Offensively, <laughs> he, was, he was unbelievable. I, I, I watched Hack go up. We were in practice one time, and me, Demetrius, Mook, and uh, Louis Mikrowski, we're going at the first team, like really going at them. And, you know, they start feeding Hack the ball. So we're obviously we're just doubling off of him, doubling down on him. And, you know, he takes a shot. He misses. He tips up his rebound, misses that, tries to tip it again. I block it. And then without even touching the ball, he goes up for the fourth one. And the ball just like sticks to his hand. And without even bringing it down, he just goes up and just dunks it. <laughs> just like, <laughs> and then coach ends practice on that. And you're just like, seriously? <laughs> Coach loved the embarrassing moments. When somebody gets embarrassed, Coach Weave and Coach Hop, they 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 lived on that. That's why practices and stuff were so fun with those guys. 
Um, you know, you're, I think it was your junior year. Hack's gone. Mm. Good for you. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, but you hurt your knee again at the, uh, that year. Uh, you were starting. Yep. Um, I think it was your junior or might've been your senior, senior, year. senior, 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 Sen- senior the first year. year I got hurt. Yep. And here it is again, you know, that knee's going to come back up. Um, mm. but you only missed two games. Yeah. Um, how so, serious I'm, an injury was this? I mean, because you kept you you started every game you played in, except the two you missed. Yeah. So I mean, I, I really think this is when the, that St. Anthony's mentality kind of kicked in, where it was like, if if I can if I can get on the court, if I can walk, I can play. You know, and the doctors were telling me, you know, you got a, a torn meniscus. So this was actually in the opposite. This was in my left knee. This is when the the, the left knee started giving me the problem. So. And I mean, I avoided it for what, almost eight years before six, seven years. Cause that, you know, yeah. once you have a big injury on one leg, you're almost guaranteed to have something, whether it be minor or big on the opposite leg at some point. I avoided it for seven years. It got me on my, on my, my, my senior year. I just went up for a rebound. Uh, uh, one guy from Drexel just, he nudged me on my way down, which kind of took me off balance. And when I hit the ground, my knee kind of, buckle which gave me a, a bone bruise and you know I, th- I thought it was we got the x-rays and MRIs which pretty much showed it was the meniscus and you know they tell me hey you know you can keep continue to play and I'm and he was like hey, you know the surgery for that you know we can get surgery but then you're gonna be out like four weeks and I'm like you know four weeks is a short period of time I can I can I know how I rehab I've done it before and I just decided hey you know I'm just I'm going to continue to play. You know, we're in a good position. We're starting to build chemistry. We're struggling at this point a little bit earlier in the season, but we're starting to build chemistry and get better. So I'm just like, you know, if I tough it out, this may help bring the young guys along just in case I have to take some time off. And this may help my mentality, help get my flow going. And, man, it just – Every game, it was just – every game, every practice, it was just just a constant, like, rehabilitation and – I mean, what a lot of people don't even realize is I was getting my knee drained after every game, like filling tubes up that was that big, about that fat, just filling them up with fluid every game. Wow. Never really saying, never really saying much to nobody because that wasn't my, that's not what I wanted to portray. I wasn't an excuse guy. If I was out on the court, I was trying to give my all. So a lot of people say, oh, you know, he, every time he goes down, he's, he's always grabbing something. Like, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I kind of had the right to. <laughs> It didn't hurt, but I, I I literally played through it. I didn't and I and I didn't practice much. Uh, Beheim would not let me do a lot of the five on five stuff. It was like we was doing a lot of individual stuff, uh, working on shooting, post moves, and stuff like that. What I can do to trying to keep the inflammation down while I continue to play, but throughout the throughout the year, it just continued to get worse. I kept hurting it again because you know I mean I had that big bulky knee brace on. And it just wasn't as stable as it should have been. And that ended up being, I ended up having to get microfracture surgery after that, which kind of sent my career on the downslide after that point. But, you know, it is what it is. It was, it, it was my choice, but, you know, you live with the decisions you make. Yeah. That was your senior year. Going back to your junior year, your junior year is Jerry McNamara's senior year. Yes. And um, late in the year, you guys got smoked by DePaul, mm-hmm. not at DePaul. Yeah, 
I still hear that from people. Like, I don't even know how people remember that game still, but I was like, like once or twice a year, somebody was like, man, I remember when you was there. You guys got smoked by that one team in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember their name, but yeah, they smoked this. And that was just before the Big East tournament. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, I think that, that everybody game wrote you put off. us out. I think that that game is what really, yeah, like you said, that game is what really people people wrote us off at that point. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you, you play teams like that where you know you got a target on your back. You know, you we were we were up and down all year that year up and down I think we were on a nice little run and then we had like a one or two game losing streak and then we went in there with them and that was one of those teams that if you give if they get any confidence in the first five minutes of that game they're going to run with it and they did not miss any shots like I'd never seen at high school level pro level like and I've played at every level like I've never seen anybody any team collectively play as good as that team played that day so you know I tip my I tip my hat to them I, I I was ticked at the time but looking back at it I was like that was their time they, I mean they didn't do anything with it after that but <laughs> that was their yeah, time and, and on the flip side we know like a week later you guys go to New York for the Big East tournament we know what eventually happened there in New York City that week but going yep. into <laughs> it did you coming off of that big loss to DePaul. What was the mood of the team? What were you guys talking about as you go into the Big East tournament? And, and of course, that first game is, is going to be in the quarterfinals against Cincinnati. Honestly, I think by the time we got back, by the time we got off that plane, we had already forgot about that. Honestly, because it was just like, man, it was a fluke. It was like they hit every shot. There was nothing we can do about it. So we were like, okay, now we got to get our swag back. So we we you know, we had uh, Jerry and, you know, Matt were the older guys. So we were kind of just trying to figure out how we can, how we can get everything back together. It's like, man, we just got to go out and play. Forget all the naysayers and leave all of that in the past. Like, I think we, we kind of, our junior year, because we had a successful, even though we lost in the first round my sophomore year, we had a successful year that year. So, you know, our junior year was supposed to be a big year for us. And, you know, with the up and down, you know, we really got caught up in things like the media would say, like Gottlieb and all of those guys who don't really know what they were talking about because they're on the outside looking in. So, you know, just trying to really figure everything out. And, I mean, we did a good job at that point of just really just locking in and staying focused and and working on our games and working on our team chemistry and building. And we we all knew, like, we went into every game believing we was going to win. I don't think it was no game. Bayham went into some games like probably like, man, we finna get smoked. And we went into every, every single game. We went into UConn when they had Ben Ben Gordon and Emeka Ogilford, like absolutely sure we was going to beat them by 20 at UConn. (laughs) Delusional, right? A little bit, maybe. A little bit, right? But (laughs) that was my four years there. That was just our mentality the entire time. Like we, we, we didn't care. We, we knew and we went into a lot of games with a target on our back. Nothing was going to be easy. Nothing ever was easy. So we just, we just took that on and had fun with it. You know, Jerry hits that shot in that Big East quarterfinal against, uh, I guess, by the quarterfinals, actually, first Every round. single game. Already been in the quarterfinals. <laughs> yeah. He hits the one against Cincinnati, and it's in that post-game press conference that we get 
the Jim Beheim rant of all rants, you know, the whole 10 games and, and the Jerry overrated and stuff like that. I always wondered, did you guys have any inclination that, that or hint that he was going to go into that press conference and, and drop that? Or, or when no. did you hear, when did you hear about what Beheim had said? I was, I was sitting next to him. Oh, you were on the podium. Yeah, I was on the podium. You and Jerry. And Jerry. You and Jerry. Well, Remember yeah, Jerry just looking at his shoes the whole time. Yeah, and I'm looking at him like, yo. <laughs> but you know, I mean, it was it was a true statement. He he did a great job of being a leader that year. And what people don't know about Jerry's senior year, his senior year was kind of like my senior year. He played with a bad hamstring the entire year. Mm-hmm. The entire year. It was he wasn't healthy the entire year. He was still going out, putting up good numbers, getting us involved, helping us put up good numbers. And again, they might have said we had an off year that year, but we we went to what the second round? No, we lost in the first round again to uh, Texas A&M. Texas A&M. Yeah, we lost the first yeah, Jerry, round. Jerry Jerry couldn't go really. Jerry yeah, Jerry, the first two minutes of the game, he was done. That was it. And we needed that leadership to get us going, and we just did we didn't have it at that point. So you know, Eric came off the bench, but Eric was the guy who who piggybacked off of. Jerry at that time. So if Jerry got a, got got off to a hot hot start, Eric was going to come in and do the exact same thing. Jerry didn't get off to a hot start. Neither could Eric. So I mean, the, the guards really couldn't get going that game. I think that's what kind of killed us. But for the most part, man, we we kind of just jumped on Jerry's back and followed his leadership, and that w- that's what was able to carry us to winning four games in four days. You know. Jerry was the focal point of that Big East tournament, and rightly so. I mean, he had a lot of big shots, big, you know, great mm-hmm. performance. But I think lost in that is the fact that the rest of the team came together then. It was, it was in those games where, if you go back and look at it, you guys all of a sudden were putting five guys in double figures for like right. three games or four games in a row. Five guys were in double figures. I'm not sure that happened all year. Uh, you and right. Mookie, Demetrius, Eric. Um, Matt Gorman's coming off the bench and making plays. Right. We don't um, that, we, we don't beat Georgetown if it wasn't for Matt Gorman. I had a terrible game. My knees was as big as a boulder. No, that this was junior year. So I had a terrible yeah. game. Uh, Matt comes in and he he just he's hot from start to finish. And I'm pretty much on the on the bench in my head the whole game. And Matt comes in and he, I mean, him and Jerry pretty much save us. So I mean, we we had a, we they did a great job of making sure we we kept it together. Yeah, I I think it was you know credit to Jerry, all credit to him, but that you could just see that team come together. You the, those games, it's the best four games you guys played all year long. You played them four in a row yeah. in four days, and it and it was fun, man. And that's the thing about it. I think we were having so much fun doing it, from the smack talking to being at the garden, you know, you got guys running around throwing balls in the stands and talking mess with the crowd. Uh, like it was just amazing. That, that was the best four days in the garden that we've, we had ever experienced. And it, it was just like Beheim was literally embarrassed at the way we were acting at these wins. Like he'll tell you, like, it, like I would, he said in a press conference, I'm pretty sure he said, man, if we're going to act like that, I'd rather not win. <laughs> Cause we was just, we was just crazy. We was just out running around having a, like a great time. Like we had never won games before, but 
it, it just it felt different to us. Oh, it, it, it looked different from the outside looking in too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the one member of your recruiting class that didn't stay was Louie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and there's a lot, lot of stories about, you know, how that whole thing, you know, kind of <laughs> went down. Any you can share with us? I mean, it, it was tough. It, it, I'm not going to share the whole story, but, you know, with that, you know, Louis was probably the most passionate out of everybody. And he, he, I wore everything on my sleeves, like emotions and all of that. Louis took that to another level. Like he, he tried to double everything you were doing. So if you were working, if you were getting up at six, man, he would try to get up at four. It was kind of like Paul. Like he always tried to one up you. Paul Harris always tries to one up you. If he sees you working hard, at 4 a.m., he's going to get up at 2 and do it. You know what I'm saying? So always, Louis was kind of like that. And yeah. I think, you know, it really came to a head when we played Rutgers at Carrier Dome. Mm-hmm. And when New York guys play against New York guys and one of those guys goes off and the other one isn't playing as much as he wants to, it, it, it's hard for those New York guys to hold that emotion inside. So, you know, it, it came to a boiling point, but if you remember, he stayed for the rest of the year. He played, stayed for the rest of the year. He played. He we got over that really quick. Beheim even got over it really quick, and we kind of moved forward from it, in a sense that you know, uh, he just kind of he he put it to he put it to the side, and he realized you know I got to do it for my teammates. You know, my teammates need we needed him. We needed his toughness. We needed his defense. He was one of the best defenders we had. And we needed that moving forward. But I think him seeing Quincy Doobie, who was one of his rivals, go off for 40 and then almost hit the game winner after I hit my shot, he almost hit a full court shot. If you remember, he, his shot rins out his last shot. And I'm, that's where I'm standing there and I'm, I'm looking at his shot like, oh, my God. He almost hits it with like 0.3 on the clock or something like that. Well, well so we got to stop right now. You kind of glossed over the, the, the story here, though. You made a three-pointer to yeah. win the game. You made a th- you made like five your whole career, right? Yeah, so, but that I didn't shortchange you, did I? I it was no, 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 no. You good? That's very correct. But the thing <laughs> was, I don't. What happened is when I was shooting threes earlier in my career, like my freshman and early in my sophomore year. Like Hack wasn't shooting threes and stuff like that. And then when I started shooting them, I started make I, I made a few. All of a sudden, um, like I, I stopped playing. So I, I thought because I was shooting jump shots, that's why I wasn't playing. It wasn't because of that. It just I was a I was a young guy and it, it was the veterans time, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I stopped shooting. And then when I started to shoot again, Bayhound's like, no, nah, that's not what you do. Like we got shooters for that. So I'm like, okay. So I just I kind of had to take that out of my game. But I practice like that's something I practice. So I wasn't shocked. Beheim was completely shocked because that was like probably the first one I shot that year, if anything. You but you see, like Demetrius, Demetrius, Josh, all of those guys would throw me the ball on the three-point line. It was the fans and coach that would hold his breath, depending on how we shoot it or not. So I wasn't. I knew it was I knew it was good when it left my hands. I I was I was comfortable. Uh, I would practice shots like that with Coach Weave, Coach Murphy. I, I would I would do all of the stuff. I put myself in the right position, so it wasn't a shot for me. 
And I was very aware of the time on the clock. So I was, and I knew the dude that was getting the ball had like 40, he had 42, I believe, because he has the dome record. He had 42 and I was just like, oh, he has the ball again, but we're celebrating. <laughs> <laughs> Game isn't over. Luckily he missed the shot. So, and I was there. What people don't realize is although Ruggers wasn't that good, those were our rivals because those are all kids we played with in high school, our entire team. We oh, played yeah. against, we played with them in high school. Like they had three or four kids on their AAU, on our AAU team, me, uh, Demetrius and Mookie that played for Rutgers. And at one point, Rutgers was my f- first unofficial visit. We committed there. Like they sold us. Like it was four, but four of us had committed there. And we were just like, oh, you know, we, we all give verbals. Not really, really knowing what the, yeah, we all gave verbals on the, like, on the recruiting business. So it was just like, oh, you know, we're going here. This is like, this is glitz and glamour. This is, you know, coming from St. Anthony's, you know, we, we got two gyms, we got cubbies, we get jerseys and shoes. Like what? We Nikes? Excuse me? <laughs> so it was like, seeing that, we was like, oh, we're going here. And then, you know, our coach, uh, Coach Hurley talked some sense into me. And then once one person was like, yeah, I ain't going there. No one went there at that point. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, it was just, it was, it was just a weird situation, but, you know, it, it, it worked out, it worked out well for everybody. At the end of the day, you know, Louis ended up going, he left at the end of that year because he, Louis really didn't understand the, the whole recruitment thing. You know, he felt like, you know, they're bringing in guys to take my place instead of thinking, okay, they're bringing in someone that's just as good as me because when I leave, they, they need somebody to fill those shoes. That's how I thought about it. We all know that they bring in guys to take your place just in case it don't work out for you. They, that's, what, that's what college basketball is about. You have to bring in the next best thing. Mm-hmm. You're not going to bring in somebody that's 50% your capacity. You know what I'm saying? So it's yeah. like some people understand that better than others. So I, just, I, I took it as a competition every year. Oh, you bring in this guy? Okay, I'm going to destroy him in practice. I'm going to try to break a rim on him. Like, I constantly went at guys, older guys, younger guys didn't matter to me. Carmelo came back. I tried to go at him unsuccessfully, but I would do it. <laughs> and, then I, <laughs> and then I was smart enough to just make sure whenever Carmelo came back, just to be on his team in workouts, you know, you, you, exactly, exactly. So <laughs> I left all of that up to like Paul and all of those guys. Yeah. I could go back and forth with Carmelo. I'll set all his screens for him. <laughs> so. Um, after your career at Syracuse is over, you played a lot of places and you played you know, quite a few years of pro career. Um, I lost track at about 10 countries. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, your passport's I, I, got a lot of stamps in it. Yeah, I, I went through two. I went through two passports. <laughs> I went through two passports. It, um, what was that like you know bouncing around the globe? Uh, it wasn't during- good. You know, no? if I, if I can give the young guys any advice, if you can go somewhere, you know, and, and, and play and you like it well enough that you think you can come back, but the money might not be a lot greater than it was the year before, take it and stay because stability in this game is what makes your career last a lot longer with me. I focused on coaching way too much. So, you know, the whole getting used to, you know, 
overseas, when you win a game, it's a team win. When you lose a game, it's your fault. Mm-hmm. So I, I really focused on like coming from playing under two Hall of Fame coaches. Now I'm playing for coaches that are ducks. They're just awful. These are YMCA coaches. Like if they come over here, they're YMCA coaches. They're awful. These are like, they could barely coach middle school kids. So it, it was really tough. And you know me, by my senior year, I had a lot of mouth. I had a lot of mouth. I, I wanted to be really successful. I thought I could be really successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to be in the NBA. My injuries, my injuries kind of took that down another route. But, you know, you learn, you kind of learn as you go. So I, I just, I just bounced around country to country just because, you know, I never devalued myself my whole career. So I'm like, you know, I'm, if I, if I, if I'm making seven grand a month and I'm averaging a double, double and I'm doing good. And then you want to bring me back the next year at eight grand a month. That ain't going to fly with me. <laughs> I'm out here playing 30, 40 minutes and you trying to pay me a thousand dollars more. Nah, I know there's dudes out here making six figures, but that was the wrong approach. But there was nobody there to really tell me like, bro, that's the wrong approach. You got to constantly kill. And then one of these super, one of these super teams in your league, you kill one of they, you kill one of them on one of these games, and then they pick you up. That's when the money starts. You get on one of these Euro League teams. That's when the money starts. That's what Demetrius and, uh, and Mook did when they when they went from the NBA and then went overseas. They played, 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 stayed in the same country, and then they won championships. I bounced around way too much. When you bounce around, you just end up on one losing team to the next. You're playing good. You're having a great time. You got a lot of stamp, stamps on your passport. But, man, it, them be lonely nights. Lonely nights and, and, and boring days. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know now you're living out in Los Angeles. Correct, correct. The Jersey kid has gone West Coast on us. That's Syracuse's fault. That, that snow... That snow corrupted me. I had to get so far away from the winter. <laughs> I wanted I, I wanted no more seasons. Like today, it's raining for the first time probably this year. So, I mean, it's like I had to get so far away from the cold, like that, like in the, the seasons, like my knees just couldn't take it. I would be so depressed at home with all the cold weather and being stuck in the house. Like I just couldn't do it. I'm a, I'm a very active person. I hike a lot. Uh, you know, I do a lot of a lot of different things that that involves me being outdoors. So I had to get back to that to get back to you know a, a healthy mental living. Well, one, I know one of those outdoor activities is one you seem to really be in right now or into, and that's cycling. Uh, yeah. Every time I see you on any Facebook or other social media. It's another shot of you with you with this uh, big group of cyclists. Yeah. So, you know, I, I initially I started biking when the pandemic, like right before the pandemic. And I was on a mountain bike and then I'm chasing around these guys on road bikes. And somebody noticed me and was like, hey, you know, you should come ride with us. And I, was like, I don't have a road bike, but I'm always up for a challenge. So started riding with those guys and they're kicking my butt. And, at the, when I first started, I initially did it because I had retired from basketball because of my uh, injuries and, and problems I was having with my health. And cycling really changed my life because I got up to about 289 pounds. So in about March of 2020, I was 289 pounds. 
look at looked at myself in the mirror and I just said, man, I'm getting round. I am really round. I'm strong. I'm strong. I feel like I look good, but the mirror is telling me otherwise. <laughs> wow. Okay. And after after that, I just you know I, I got back in the I got back in the gym and I started cycling. I did a ride and I got my butt kicked so bad that I just walked to my friend's house and I bought one of his road bikes. And then I once I did that, it was it was curtains from there. I just the competitive juices really kicked in and it was like, you know, the race season and for 2020 was canceled. And they were just like, you know, you should start racing. And the more I picked it up, the the better I got at it. I started to realize like this is a lot like basketball. Like you have to train, you have to study, you have to, you know, your vision has to be like cycling is like being a point guard. You have to have vision or, or you're just, you're going to end up a statistic with a really expensive broken bike. So, <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I took that challenge and I've been very successful. And I mean, being a 6'10 guy that's out on a bike is a lot of people won't come around you in a race because you create such a great draft. So I use that. I use my strengths and my weaknesses to my ability and constantly getting better and looking forward to, you know, growing, growing in the sport and, and continuing to get better. I just got to find a, a better bike, a bike my size. <laughs> I was about to say, I must be hard to find a bike to fit a six foot 10 frame. Yeah. I mean, I, the one I have now is it's older. It's a 2018. And, you know, everybody now is on the, you know, the newer bikes, which are a lot more stiffer, stiffer is a lot better for racing and stuff like that. So it's for the most part, you know, it's, it, it's tough to find them because once the pandemic hit, cycling was really the only thing that everybody in the U S could do to, you know, kind of stay healthy and, you know, not go insane by staying in the house everything is sold out. So like, yeah. like you can't find bikes. You go on any website right now, it might be like one or two where you can find a bike that is either going to fit you or what you're looking for. Everything's sold out to like late 2022. So it's like everything you find is like people selling bikes that bought bikes during the pandemic. Now the pandemic ended and they got to pay rent. They got to <laughs> sell that $6,000 bike to pay rent well, for two to three months. So... And what a lot of people might don't realize, cycling is for sure the most expensive sport you can pay. Hands really? down. Hands down. Why is that? I, that? I, but these bikes are expensive. Oh, wow. Like the bike. So I, I have one bike now that I had to get the seat post custom made. That bike's about $12,000. Yeah. Wow. I didn't pay for it. I got I, I got it gifted by Cannondale, by Cannondale because... The bike that I did pay for, which was $4,600, which I talked him down from $69, that frame cracked when I was doing a race earlier in the year. So they sent me, and that was that frame was a 2018. So they sent me a 2020 version, which is what the, the Rafa EF team used on the Tour de, France, Tour de France. So they sent me that bike. That was the only bike they had in my size. Wow. So I got a major upgrade on that part. And then it's another bike that, you know, I was fortunate enough that I say fortunate enough, but I have good insurance. So I ended up getting in LA, everybody was stealing bikes because that was the, that was the wave right now. Bikes were selling so much. People were just stealing bikes and selling them. So I ended up getting three bikes stolen in a matter of four months. Oh my God. Yeah. Three bikes. I got two mountain bikes stolen and one road bike 
and they I probably insurance cashed me out probably 15,000, 15, 16,000. Oh my God. Now, what kind of distances are these races that you're in? So the races are usually, they're like, they're called criterion races. So usually like four or five corner crits run by, uh, approved by USA Cycling for the most part. Um, so, I mean, it really depends. We, we usually go by time. Okay. Each course is usually a mile. We only had one course that was bigger than a mile. It was like probably 1.6 miles. And that's usually considered a circuit race, but usually we're doing four corner crit races running for 50 minutes at anywhere between 25 and 35 miles an hour. Oh, it's fast. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have to be, you have to be really strong and really conditioned. I'm in, right, right now, honestly, I'm in the best shape in my life that I've ever been in high school, uh, college professional. I'm in the best shape of my life. What are you Easy. down to? I'm the last time I weighed myself yesterday, I was 230, but I got all the way down to 221. And then I was like, okay, I got to get back up a little bit. <laughs> so I started to bulk and lift, started to lift a little bit more weight. So, but you, to be fat, really to be fast and to be, you know, you got a lot of these road races where you got these really steep climbs and stuff. And I'm, I'm a pretty fast climber. Pretty, I won't say fast climber, but I'm a pretty strong climber. Mm-hmm. So, and that's the opposite of what people think when you're tall. You usually, you know, super fast downhill, super fast everywhere else, but just super slow uphill. But you know, like I said, I take on challenges. So that's what I that's what I train really trained to get good at. And you know, that was the the main thing for me. You know, you you have to prove everybody wrong because everybody, no one's no one's looking at you like, hey, you know, this guy's gonna be really good at at cycling at six ten. They look at they come in the races and they look at me like. Oh yeah, he's gonna be terrible. There's no way he's gonna be <laughs> fast, which makes sense because all of these dudes are like between five five and six one, and they're all like under two hundred pounds, and they're really fast. Uh, but if there's any downhills in a race, I have an extreme advantage. So, and as my conditioning gets better, it's it worse for those guys. <laughs> Terrence Roberts on bicycle, folks. That's amazing <laughs> stuff. Um, hey, listen, Terrence, we've gone way over what uh, what we had talked about doing, but um, I just couldn't stop. Um, yeah, it's, it's so good. great it catching up with it's you. It's a pleasure. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I uh, appreciate you having me, Mike. I want to thank Terrence for joining me on the podcast today, and thanks to you out there as well for listening in. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. And follow all of our complete coverage of Syracuse basketball on Syracuse.com. Until next time on the Inside Syracuse Basketball Podcast, I'm Mike Waters.